السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد so inshallah this week we're going to finish off the last verse of Surah Fil and then we begin with our next batch of Surah which is what I mean by batches on the notes on the portal for those of you that are following on the portal then we have a number of Surahs that we kind of batch together it's not particular order nor particular reason it's just a number of notes that are put together for those Surahs so the next batch of Surahs will be Surah Humaza Asar and Takathur um, so inshallah we'll begin in Surah Humaza at some point today but we're going to finish off with the last verse of Surah Feed. So last week we spoke, um, from what I remember, verses 2, 3 and 4 or 3 and 4, something like that. But Allah, or was it 3, I think 3 and 4, but Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَأَرْسَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ طَيْرًا أَبَابِيلٍ تَرْمِيهِمْ بِحِجَارَةٍ مِنْ سِجِّينٍ We sent upon them flocks of birds and they threw upon them stones of baked clay. And that is obviously referring to the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the army of elephants and to Abraha and those with him. Before we carry on, what I want you to do is speak about um, two concepts or two words that are often repeated in the Quran that we find one in verse 3 and one in verse 4. And that is bird and in verse 4, stone. Hijara and tayyir. Tayyir or birds are often mentioned in the Quran. They are mentioned numerous times throughout the Quran in different contexts. And it is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to in different contexts. And I have some examples here. And this is obviously so that we can link certain parts of the Quran with other parts of the Quran. We can see how the same word is used throughout the Quran in different contexts and depending on what Allah is speaking about. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran sometimes mentions birds by species. He specifies the species of the bird. So he doesn't just say bird. The word tayr is a generic word for bird. Right? And even though um, last week we mentioned that some of the scholars said it's a vulture in this particular surah, surah fil. Others said it's a swallow, as it's reported from Aisha, radiallahu anha. But the correct opinion is that we don't know what type of bird, because Allah Azza wa leaves it generic. And that's the general rule of the Quran, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves things that are generic, and he leaves them to be generic, meaning that there's no real benefit in us knowing specific type of bird, for example, or the specific type of dog, if Allah Azza wa mentions the dog, or any other type of animal, that Allah Azza wa Jal may mention in the Quran. But sometimes Allah Azza wa does specify the type of bird. Right? He goes into detail himself, Jalla fi ula. And that's to show, and there is always a wisdom behind that to show something. So for example, when it comes to birds, there are two types of birds that are mentioned specifically in the Quran. The first of them is, the famous one. Types of birds. Birds, birds. Types of birds that are mentioned in the Quran. Sorry? No, no, Babil. We don't know. That's that's Surafi. I mean, other than Surafi. Yeah, what's it called though? The one in the story of Sulaiman. The Hudhud. Right? The Hudhud. But Allah Azza wa Jalla in Surah Namal, verse 20, He says, وَتَفَقَّدَ الطَّيْرَ فَقَالَ مَا لِيَ لَا أَرَى الْهُدْهُدَ أَنْ كَانَ مِنَ الْغَائِبِينَ When Sulaiman alayhi salam is traveling with his army of humans and jinn and animals and so on. And he had a bird called the Hudhud, which is a type of bird some of the scholars of Tafsir and others said that it's one of its abilities that Allah has given it is to be able to spot water from great distances. 
So he said that Suleyman would use this bird to go ahead of an army to scout for water and watering holes for his army. And then when he can't see the bird, or the bird doesn't come back to report to him, because as we know, as the story continues, that it's gone to Saba, it's gone to the Queen of Sheba, and it's seen this kingdom in which they worship the sun besides Allah. He says, where is the hudhud? Where is the hudhud? Or has it been from amongst those that have become absent? So the hudhud is a bird that Allah mentions specifically in the Quran. And it doesn't say tayr, it could have said any bird. But he specifies the type of bird, and that is hudhud. The second example of this is in the story of the two sons of Adam. The two sons of Adam, Cain and Abel, when... Is this the one that taught them how to do the genetics? Yeah. When one of the sons kills the other, he murders his brother, and then he doesn't know what to do with his body. فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ Allah says in Surah Ma'idah 31, فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ غُرَابًا يَبْحَثُ فِي الْأَرْضِ لِيُرِيَهُ كَيْفَ يُوَارِي سَوْءَ Allah sent a crow. And Allah specifies the bird. Why well, doesn't just say he sent a bird, he sent a crow. That dug in the ground and it buries another bird, another crow, so that the son of Adam, or one of the two sons, the murderer, he realizes what it is that he should do with his brother's body. And then obviously thereafter it becomes the practice of people to bury their deceased. So that's an example where Allah mentions birds in the Quran, but he specifies the type of bird. As opposed to in Surah Feen, where the bird is left in, in generic terms, it's not mentioned in terms of a specific type of bird. Another example or another context in which birds are mentioned in the Quran is in the context of miracles. The context of miracles. So for example, we have in Surah Baqarah, verse 260, in the story of Ibrahim salam. When Ibrahim salam says to Allah, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ أَرِنِي كَيْفَ تُحْيِي الْمَوْتَى when Allah when Ibrahim asked Allah, Oh Allah, I'll show me how you give life to the dead. And Allah says to him, do you not believe? He says, yes, but I want to increase in faith. So Allah tells him, Take four birds and train them to come back to you. Then place them on separate hilltops, meaning that he takes four birds, he kills them, he places them in separate places on different mountain tops, and those birds would come back to him. Right? So that's in the context of birds being mentioned in a miracle. Another example of this is in Surah Al-Imran, verse 49, this time in the story of Isa alayhi salam, that he says, That I create and fashion from clay something like a bird. And then I blow into it and it, gives, it gets life by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise in verse 16 of Surah Namal, when Allah says, وَوَرِثَ سُلَيْمَانُ دَاوُودِ وَقَالَ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ عُلِّمْنَا مَنْطِقَ الطَّيْرِ Sulaiman inherits from Dawood, and he says, O people, I have been taught the language of the birds. So these verses, birds are mentioned in the Qur'an in the context of them being miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another context in which birds are mentioned in the Qur'an, or the third context, is Jannah, paradise. And from the rewards of the people of Jannah, is that they will enjoy the meat of birds, bird meat. They will eat from the meat of birds. And Allah says in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, verse 21, And the meat of birds from that which they desire. And that's another context in which it's mentioned in the Quran. Another context, or a fourth context, is just the general creation of Allah. When Allah speaks about His creation, 
So for example, in Surah An'am, verse 38, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا مِنْ دَابَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا طَائِرٍ يَطِيرُ بِجَنَاحَيْهِ إِلَّا أُمَمٌ أَمْثَالُكُمْ Allah Azza wa Jalla says, all the creatures that crawl on the earth and those that fly with their wings are communities like yourselves. We have missed nothing out of this record. In the end, they will be gathered to their Lord. Right? So that's in the context of it being from the, the creation of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And similar to that is in Surah An-Nahl, verse 79. أَلَمْ يَرَوْا إِلَى طَيْرِ مُسَخَّرَاتٍ فِي جَوِّ السَّمَاءِ Do they not see the birds made to fly through the air in the sky? And similar to it is in Surah An-Nur, verse 41. Do you not see that all those who are in the heavens and earth praise God, as do the birds with their wings outstretched, each knows its own way of prayer and glorification. Right, so these are in the context of uh, the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal and those birds praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and glorifying him. So that's a number of contexts in which the, uh, the word bird or birds are mentioned in the Quran. And then in verse number four in Surah Fee, when Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about stones, that's also a concept that is repeated often in the Quran. So for example, in the Quran, it's mentioned as being from the descriptions of how far, stones. For example, in Surah Baqarah, verse 24, Allah Azza wa Jal says, and beware of the fire, its fuel is men and stones. Right? Its fuel is men and stones. It is also mentioned as being something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's um, creation in Surah Baqarah 74, when Allah azza wa compares the hearts of people to stones. And then your hearts became hardened after that and they became like stones or they became harder than them. And then Allah Azza wa goes on to mention in that verse how there are some stones and some mountains from which some mountains and stones that crumble from Allah's fear, some mountains and stones that if you strike them, water will come from them, and how the hearts of some people are harder than those bricks and those stones because they won't even be moved from the mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the third context in which stones are mentioned is in, this, is in the context of either miracles or punishment. Like it's in Surah Al-Feel, where it's mentioned in the context of punishment. Right? So for example, Allah Azza wa says in Surah Baqarah, verse 60, When the people of Musa sought water from Musa السلام, and we commanded him to strike the stone with his staff. Right? That's in the context of it being a miracle. Or in the context of punishment in the story, for example, of Lut alayhi salam in Surah Al-Hijr 74, فَجَعَلْنَا عَالِيَهَا سَافِلَهَا وَأَمْطَرْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ حِجَارَةً مِنْ سِجِّيلٍ And we caused the earth to go up, to turn upside down, and we rained upon them stones of clay. And in Surah Al-Anfal, verse 32, when Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنْ كَانَ هَذَا هُوَ الْحَقَّ مِنْ عِنْدِكْ فَأَمْطِرْ عَلَيْنَا حِجَارَةً مِنَ السَّمَاءِ And if this is to be the truth from your Lord, then cause stones to rain down upon us from the sky. Right, so this is another context in which it is mentioned, either in the context of a miracle or in the context of a punishment that is uh, caused to be descended upon people. So I just wanted to go through um, those two things which related to last week's lesson. And then inshallah we go on to the final verse of Surah Al-Feed, verse number 5, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ 
He made them like cropped stubble. He made them, he made them like cropped stubble. We have two words here. فَجَعَدَهُمْ He made them. That's like an easy, um, you know, easy translation. We have two words. كَعَصْفْ عَصْفْ What is عَصْفْ And what is مَأْكُولْ right? These two words, which are the final two words of this surah. Regarding عَصْفْ Sa'id ibn Jubayr, رحمه الله تعالى, the famous tabi'i and student of the companion said, it refers to straw. It is like straw or hay. So عَصْفْ, the word عَصْفْ, so this is how when Allah causes the army of Abraha to be struck by the stones that these birds have with them and they throw upon the army of Abraha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us what they become, right? what their ending is. And Allah likens them to asfim ma'kul. What is asf? Some of the scholars said they became like straw, right? they became like hay. What is hay and straw in essence? It's wheat or it's remnants of wheat or it could be like grass or it could be like, it's like that kind of vegetation. But what's happened to it? It has dried, right? And that's to show the destruction of these people. So they're not living, right? They're not, they don't have any, any life in them. They're not, you know, like normally we speak about grass and so on. The image that comes to your mind is greenery, something that's living, something that's breathing, something that grows. They are described as being like hay and straw. Because hay and straw is dead, right? It's, it's shriveled up, it's dry, and it's lost all life. And this is something which is a common concept and a recurring concept throughout the Quran. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the punishment that He gives to a people, Allah often describes the ending of that punishment or the result of that punishment and how at the end of it there is nothing left. Right? There is nothing, it is complete and utter destruction. For example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَتِلْكَ بُيُوتُهُمْ and these are their houses empty and in ruin. Meaning those people were destroyed, nothing is left behind, not even a remnant of them. All you see is their houses. And as Allah says about the people of Ad, It destroyed everything by the permission of its Lord, so that the next morning nothing remained to be seen except their dwellings and their abodes meaning that the, any trace or remnant of those people, that nation, was completely wiped away from the face of the earth. Right? And likewise, the same with Pharaoh, when he's drowned in the sea with his army. Right? They're completely gone. And Allah says only Pharaoh, his body was preserved, so that it would be a sign for those people who come after him. It is complete and utter destruction. And so likewise here, with the army of the elephant, Allah doesn't just tell us the punishment, but this is again the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often describes punishments in the Quran. Number one, he tells us that there is a punishment. Number two, he describes the manner of punishment. So whether it's the people of Lut, or the people of Ad, or the people of Thamud, or the people of Nuh, or the people of Musa, والسلام, all of those prophets that came, we have number one, that their people were punished. Number two, we're given the description or the manner of the punishment that they were given. And number three, we're told the result. What is the conclusion? what remained behind after that punishment was lifted. Right? And in every case, there is nothing that is left of those people. So likewise here in Surah Al-Feel, in verse number 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, last week in verse 3 and 4, He told us that there was a punishment. And then He told us the manner and description of their punishment. And now Allah Azza wa Jal in verse number 5 is telling us what is left or what is left afterwards. So 
he says ka'asf al-ma'kul. So Sa'id ibn Jubayr says, asf is like straw or it is like hay. And in another narration, also from um, Sa'id ibn Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said it was like the, the um, leaves of wheat. Right, the leaves of wheat. So when you see wheat and you see those leaves that come off it, he described it to be like the leaves of wheat. And he said, or it is like the fodder that is given to animals. Which is what straw and hay is. What hay and straw is often used, or hay especially is used to feed certain animals. And this was also the opinion of Al Hassan al Basri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Ibn Abbas, Radiallahu Anhuma, said, Al Asf, it is the leaf or the leaf or the covering that you find upon a seed. So if you have, for example, a seed or, or like wheat or some kind of plant and you take off the covering of it, that's basically what you have. Any type of vegetation any type of seed, the cover that comes off it, which is normally chucked away, where it's thrown away, it's not use, useful to anyone, and then that is what Allah Azza wa is referring to as Al-Asf. And similar to it is Ibn Abbas also says something similar, he says it is the leaves of vegetation. Right? And some of the scholars went a step further and they said it's like the skin of an onion, for example. It's something that anything that covers a, a vegetable or a seed or something, that is what is being referred to. Asf. And Sa'id ibn Jubair, it is also reported that he also said the same thing, that it is the leaf of um, wheat and mujahid, rahimahullah, has something similar to it as well. Hussein ibn Thabit said that asf is a type of food, a fodder that is given to animals and that they eat. And ibn Zayd said, al-asf, it is the leaves or the covering of vegetables, like the covering of, of a, or the skin of a, an onion. And he said, al-ma'kool means that it is something which is eaten, right? Ma'kool comes from akala. Ma'kool is something which has been eaten. Eaten. And then Ibn Zayd, rahimahullah ta'ala, says that it's something which those animal, animals eat, it's the fodder that they eat, and then it is defecated, akramakumullah. Right? So Allah Azza wa he saying goes to that level of description, that this is how much they would destroy it, like cropped stubble like hay and fodder that's been eaten, not only eaten and digested, but then also has been um, defecated as well, and it has become something which has absolutely no value to it. And this is what Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, chose in his tafsir. He said it is like vegetation that is eaten by animal, and then they defecate it, and it becomes dry, and then it breaks up. So that defecation becomes dry, the droppings become dry, and then they break up. And he says, and he goes on to say, and this is to show Allah is likening this to the complete destruction that was placed upon the army of the elephants. That they, after those stones had struck them, those pebbles had struck them, they became, their bodies became dry, and they began to, began to fall off, or, or parts of their bodies began to fall off, and they continued to disintegrate, just like that dropping, when it becomes dry, it begins to disintegrate and broke, broke, uh, break apart. That is how Allah Azzawajal's punishment affected the army of the elephant and the people of Abraha. Al-Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said, and the meaning of this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed them completely. He completely destroyed them. And he made their plans go into disarray. And that he destroyed the vast majority of those people who were in that army and that no one or hardly anyone escaped except that they were affected in some way or another by that punishment. Like for example, Abraha who left and he went back 
all the way towards Yemen and all the way as he's traveling back towards Yemen, he's succumbing to his condition until he arrives. And he says in this narration, Ibn Kathir says, until he arrives in Yemen and he tells the people of what took place and then he dies. To show so that Allah could show his miracle at his hands that he would have to go back and relay the news of his own defeat and the destruction and the punishment that Allah placed upon them. He would tell that story to the people of his time in back in Yemen and then he would pass away. And then Ibn Kathir goes on to say, and after he dies, his son Yaksum becomes the next leader. And then after Yaksum dies, his son Masruq, his brother, sorry, the, the other son of Abraha, uh, the brother of Yaksum, Masruq, he becomes the next leader. And then the Persians send an army and they defeat Abraha. And he goes back to the same tribe who were the kings of Yemen before Abraha came. Al-Imam al-Shawkani ta'ala said that Allah Azza wa Jal destroyed the people of the, or the army of the elephant just as the fodder of the animal that is eaten and then it is defecated to show how complete their destruction was. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to the vast majority then of these scholars of tafsir that the, the asf is referring to a type of dry hay, straw, some type of something, a covering of the seed or, or some vegetation. And al-ma'kul is that it's been devoured by those animals that eat this type of fodder and then they defecate, it's been eaten and it's turned into droppings that have dried and have broken apart. That is how complete Allah Azza wa caused the destruction of the army of the elephant and Allah Azza wa knows best. Any questions before we carry on? I'm not sure if you already covered this, but do we, is it, do we know where this event took place in Saudi? So we mentioned, I think last week or the week before that, it's, um, it said that one of the places that, or the place that this event took place is what is known as Wadi Muhassar, which is a valley between Muzdalifa and Mina. Um, Muzdalifa and Mina, or Arafa and Muzdalifa. Or Muzdalifa and Mina, around that area. So just outside of the boundary of the Haram, uh, there's a valley that, that is there. And the Prophet when he came to that valley, he told the companions to speed up. They told them not to slow down. They told them to speed up because it's a place of punishment. So it said that that's one of the places where this where this punishment struck. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But it's not something which you can see now. It's like just roads and so on. Right? It's, not, it's not even a valley anymore because it's been leveled. And you know, obviously in Hajj, it's like a place where where people pass through and go by. So it's not really a valley anymore. Does the person still need to hurry up? Because like the other nations as well, where the Prophet likewise. Yeah, Do so does a person need to hurry up or not? If you can, then yes. If you know where it is and you're passing by Should and you go the there, speed. then it's. Huh? Should you buy the speed? Yeah, you evade the speed, you know. You're not even speeding, though. Like most people are going to be on foot or something. No. And on Hajj, no one's speeding because uh, there's so much traffic, you can't speed anyway. Yeah, speed limits. Anyone else? Any questions? Okay. So let's carry on, inshallah ta'ala, to Surah Al-Humaza. So Surah Al-Humaza is our next surah. And we begin, as we usually do, by, um, by mentioning the different names that it is known by in the books of Tafsir. And Surah Al-Humaza has four names that it is known by in the books of Tafsir. The first of them is Humaza, obviously, which is its most common and famous name. And that's reported 
um, as being it's, it's named or used that name is used by a number of a great number of the scholars. It's probably the most common name amongst the scholars of Tafsir, Muqatil, Imam Al-Tabari, Ibn Hazm, Al-Nasai, Ibn Kathir, Al-Baghawi, Al-Shawkani, Rahimahumullah, and others, many others, refer to this surah as being Surah Al-Humaza. The second name that it is known by is, as often the case in Tafsir, its first verse. So that's another name that it is given by. And that's the name that is mentioned by Ibn Abbas and Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir. And I've mentioned Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir twice. Right, so they refer to it as Humaza and Humaza. So if you look, for example, at the tafsir of Imam Al-Tabari, when he begins the tafsir of this surah, he says, and this is the tafsir of surah, and then when he finishes the tafsir, he says, and here we finish the tafsir of Surah Al-Humaza. So he refers to it with both names. He refers to it with this name, and he refers to it with that name. Uh, another name that is known by the third name is Waylun Likulli Humaza. Waylun Likulli Humaza, and this is the way that Imam Al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, referred to it in his Sahih. And obviously Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, then obviously uses that as well in his explanation of Sahih Al-Bukhari. So those are three names, so Humaza, Wailulli Kulli Humaza Tillumaza, Wailulli Kulli Humaza, and then the fourth name is Al Hutama, which is obviously one of the words that is in the Surah, Wama Adrakamal Hutama. So Al Hutama is a name that is also known by, and this is mentioned by Al Firuz Abadi and Al Karmani, who are two scholars, and it is, um, it is like where this name, as a name for this surah, is only mentioned, I think, by these two scholars. And the vast majority of the scholars, therefore, have chosen either the first name or the second name, either Humaza or Wailulli Kulli Humaza Tlumaza. But obviously, in our time, as we said, it is famous now as Humaza. Right? That's what everyone refers it to, and that is the name that it is now well known by. It is a Makki surah and consists of nine verses. So it is a Makki Surah Ibn Abbas, Al-Hassan, Qatada, Al-Zuhri, Ibn Hazm, Ibn Kathir, Al-Baghawi, Rahimahumullah, many others stated that it is a Makki chapter which basically means that it's revealed before the Hijrah, right, before the Hijrah. And many of them even said that there is Ijma'a, that there is no difference of opinion amongst the scholars on this issue. Ibn Atiyah, Al-Qurtubi, Ibn Al-Jawzi, and Al-Shawkani, Rahimahumullah, all said that there is Ijma'a, there is consensus and agreement of the scholars that this surah is a Makki surah. Even though it is reported, and I've seen like one or two narrations in some books, that there, is, there were one or two scholars who said that it is a Madani surah, that it is a post-Hijrah surah, revealed after the Hijrah to Medina. But the vast majority of the scholars don't seem to have paid any attention to those one or two narrations. And as we said, it is often the case, especially in Tafsir, where if one or two people have like, a, you know, like an opinion which goes against the overwhelming majority, the scholars will still consider it to be an issue of ijma, right? So they'll say that there is consensus. So Al-Qurtubi, Ibn Atiyah, Ibn Jawziyah, Shawkani, from the well-known famous scholars of Tafsir, and others have said that there is ijma, that this surah is a Makki surah. It is a surah which therefore was revealed before the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Can we go to verse number one, please, in uh, the translation, Quran.com? So in verse number one, Allah says, And I just want to bring up the, 
the transition or a number of transitions for this. So the one that I have here, which is the Professor Abdul Halim one, is woe to every fault-finding backbiter. Okay, so we have Mahsin Khan says, woe to every slanderer and backbiter. Mufti Taqi Uthmani, woe to every backbiter, derider. Abdul Halim, as we said, woe to every fault-finding backbiter. Yusuf Ali says, woe to every kind of scandal monger and backbiter. Sahih International, woe to every scorner and mocker. And Iqbal says, woe unto every slandering producer. Everyone's like, well, I've never heard of that one before. <laughs> so, they're kind of similar. Right? They're kind of similar. And one of the issues here is we have two words, humaza and lumaza. What do they mean? Are they the same? Are they one and the same in terms of meaning? Or are they two dis distinct and different words in terms of meaning? But before we go on to that, um, the first issue is the, the first word, which is the word wail, right, wail, which is often mentioned in the Quran. And Imam Al-Qurtubi said, the word wail has been mentioned numerous times in the Quran. And its meaning is humiliation and punishment and destruction. And it is said that it is the name of a valley in Jahannam, the name of a valley in the Hawfire. So the word wail, which comes often in the Quran, right? and, and you know, we'll go through some of those examples now, where the word wail comes often in the Quran, and it's mentioned in different contexts. The word wail, it is said in Arabic, its asl or its origin is two words, wail and then li, li fulan, whatever, right? Wail, waw and ya, and then the li fulan, right? Fulan means so-and-so. So the li is two so-and-so, right? So way is the word of destruction or it's a word of, you know, like punishment or whatever it may be. And then they used to say way li fulan. And they would mention the name of the people that they were making this dua against because the word way can also be used as a dua. Right? It can be used as a supplication against a group of people. Or it can be khabar. It can be uh, a statement about a group of people that they are deserving of punishment. In both of those contexts, it can be used in Arabic language. So the asal or the origin of the word used to be way, and then they would say li fulan. But then over time, as Arabs often do, is that they merge things that become difficult to pronounce and difficult to say if it is slightly, you know, like tongue twisting. So what they made it instead was way, made it into one word. Rather than two words, they just said way, right, and way. So this is mentioned a number of times in the Quran. It is mentioned in the context of previous nations, past nations, as Allah says in Surah Baqarah, verse number 79, Woe to those. Right? And in English, the translation that everyone seems to use is woe, right? which isn't really a word that we use woe, but what it actually means is may punishment and destruction and humiliation befall upon whoever it may be. Right? So when Allah says, Woe to those who write the scriptures with their own hands. And then they say that this is from Allah. Right? So Allah uses wail in this context about previous nations who changed their scriptures and changed the laws that Allah gave to them. Second context that is mentioned is the day of judgment. When people will have remorse and regret on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. As Allah says concerning the people on Yawm Al-Qiyam in Surah Al-Furqan, verse 28, Ya wailata, 
لَيْتَنِي لَنْ أَتَّخِذْ فُلَانًا خَلِيلًا Woe to me if only I had not taken so-and-so as a close friend. Right, so when people come on Yawmul Qiyamah, as Allah says in the Quran, أَلَخِلَّاءُ يَوْمَئِذٍ بَعْضُهُمْ لِبَعْضٍ عَدُوٌ إِلَّا الْمُتَّقِينَ The closest of friends on that day will be enemies one to another except for the people of piety and righteousness. So when a person comes and because of their friendship, because of their closeness to a person, it turned them away from Allah, led them to a path other than the path of Allah such people will have cause to be remorseful and regretful on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And the word that they will use is Yahweh Lata. Right? Woe to my destruction. Right? They will speak about the, the, the impending punishment that is coming upon them. Another context is <coughs> oppression. Allah mentions it in regards to those who commit oppression. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيْلُلِّ mutaffifin." Right? And how many surahs in the Quran begin with wail? Two. Two. And I just gave you the answer, right? Humaza and mutaffifin. Both of those surahs refer to uh, are the two surahs that begin with wail or destruction and punishment and this word woe. And both of them refer to a type of oppression. One is the oppression of the tongue and physical oppression. And the second is in the case of Surah Mutafifin because Surah Humaza is verbal oppression and physical oppression, right? Someone who mocks and and slanders and backbites and so on. Whereas Surah Mutafifin is financial oppression. Those who are not accurate in the way that they do their finances, in the way that they weigh and they measure, in the way that they buy and they sell. Right? So Allah Azza describes both of, both of these groups of people because of the oppression that they commit, that they are deserving of punishment. Right? And we know generally in the, in the Quran and in the Sunnah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like oppression, right? That Allah Azza wa Jal, it is one of the greatest of sins to oppress. And in the Hadith Al-Qudsi, Ya ibadi inni harramtu dhulma ala nafsi wajaltuhu baynakum muharraman fala tadhalamu. O my servants, I have made oppression haram upon myself and I have made it haram amongst you, so do not oppress one another. Right? So that's the third context. The fourth context is in terms of lying, right? In terms of being, of lying and, and, and of, um, and of, of uh, fabricating, right? Making up, making up things. Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-Jathiyah, verse number seven, وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّ أَفَّاكٍ أَثِيمٍ Bow to every person who is a compulsive liar and who is a compulsive sinner. Number five, the fifth context, as in Surah Mursalat, verse number 15, those people who deny and reject, those people who turn away from Allah's signs, they deny them, they reject them. Allah Azza wa says, and this is a verse that is repeated a number of times in Surah Al-Mursalat. Woe on that day to those who denied, right, who rejected, who turned away. Another context is for those people whose hearts have become hard from Allah's remembrance. Those people who, whose hearts have become hard. As Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Al-Zumar, verse number 22, Woe to those whose hearts have become hard at the mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning that when Allah is mentioned, the Quran is mentioned, Iman is mentioned, that their hearts have become hard from this. And the seventh context, and there are others as well, but number seven is those who are lazy upon the prayer. But, and those who turn away from the prayers of Allah which mentions as we, we've already um, taken in Surah Ma'un. Right? Allah says, musallim. Woe to those who pray. Those who are, who are neglectful of their prayer. So 
So this is a number of, of times in the Quran where it's mentioned the word whale. So Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said, whale refers to humiliation, destruction and punishment. And others said that it is a wadi or a, a valley in Jahannam. It is the name of a valley in Jahannam. And uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala said the same thing. He said that there are two opinions. He said the first of them is that it is the name of a valley in Jahannam, in the fire of hell. He said, but what is more likely and stronger from a linguistic point of view is that it is a term or a word that refers to punishment and destruction. It is a word that is used to refer to punishment and to destruction. And obviously both of those meanings are very similar, right? Because what is the punishment and destruction that is being referred to? It is the punishment and destruction of hellfire. Right? That is the punishment of the hereafter. So therefore, there is a, you know, like a similarity between those two, um, those two opinions anyway. But the vast majority of the scholars will say that it refers to the word itself, refers to destruction, punishment, humiliation. And as we said, in Arabic, it can be used in two contexts. The first of them is as a dua or a supplication. So it's used in the context of a supplication, meaning may Allah destroy those people, may Allah demolish those people and so on, may Allah punish those people. Or the second context is that it is a statement, right? As if it's, seen, it's being said about a fact that Allah says, those people, woe upon them, meaning that they will have punishment. They will be punished, right? It's a statement of, of fact rather than a supplication. Uh, Imam al-Razi said in his tafsir that the, the asal or the origin of this word is to show humiliation. It is to degrade, it is to belittle something. And they used to say in the Arabic language, And then when it became very common in the Arabic language, they merged the two words together. And so it became wail, wail, right? And that's the word that is used in the Arabic language. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala said in his tafsir, the word waylullahu, wail, is a dua that is used as if someone is saying that made so-and-so or the person that fits this description the person who has these attributes or these traits, may Allah punish them in this way. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kul, waylulli, kulli. Right? Kul means all, right? to every, to encompass everyone who fits this description. Because one of the things that we will come unto, inshallah ta'ala, is uh, that the scholars differ as to whether this verse was revealed concerning a certain individual, a certain person, or whether there is a generic verse. That refers to everyone, right? So he says the word kul refers to everyone who fits this description. Everyone was humaza or lumaza. Everyone that fits this description, the wail or the destruction and the punishment refers to all of them. And they are, and it is referring to those people who obviously have these descriptions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention. And then we have humaza and lumaza. These words, humaza and lumaza, are from the words hams and lambs in the Arabic language. The word hams and lambs, right? And those words, when you pluralize them, you say hammas and lammas, right? And then those words from the plural, you have another type of plural that shows that it is someone who does this to the extreme. And that is the wazan of fu'ala, humaza and lumaza. Like in the Arabic language, they say, Duhaka, 
from dahik. Dahik means someone who laughs. Right? Dahik is someone who laughs. Dahak is someone who laughs salat. Duhaka is someone who laughs even more. Right? And the general, um, the general ruling in the Arabic language is the more letters you add to the root word, the greater the meaning, meaning that the more eloquent it is or the more extreme that it's going to in its meaning. Right? So when they say, for example, Hamiz, yeah, yeah, Rahman, Rahim, Hamiz, Hamaz is more because it's got a Shadda. Right? So you're adding more to it. Then Humaza, you're adding even more to it. Right? So this is how it generally works in the Arabic language. Hamazatim, yeah. Yeah. So um, he says, so humaza is referred, is, is taken from the word hams. And it is, he says, linguistically it is to refer to someone in a derogatory way by signing, by signaling. So either through winking or through a movement of the head or through a movement of the hand, it is some type of signal that you show to belittle someone. Right? It is someone to show that you belittle someone. And, and, and lens. It is when you do it verbally. Right? So he makes a distinction between the two. And we'll go into this in more, in more detail. Now, and Ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala says the same thing. Right? He says the same thing. That humaza and lumaza means the one who goes to extremes in making hams and lams. Uh, Sheikh Shaqiti rahimahullah Muhammad al-Amin, the author of Adwa al-Bayan, he says that these two words have been mentioned in the Quran in other than this place, in other than this verse in Surah Humaza. Which shows that the meaning of the two words is different. <coughs> that the two words, humaza and lumaza, don't refer to the same thing. They refer to something different. And that's because there are some linguists who said that the two words are the same in meaning. Humaza and lumaza mean the same thing. Others and the vast majority actually said no. Because the general ruling is in that in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't repeat the same thing for no reason. But Allah doesn't just repeat something for no reason. So if it's the same exact meaning, it doesn't add anything new. That's not something which is the case of the Quran. Allah doesn't just add words that don't add anything new in the Quran. So each word, when they are mentioned together, or if there are two words that are similar in meaning, or that seem to be the same when they are mentioned together, there is a difference between them. They add something between them. So for example, he says, the word humaza or, or hams, is also mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Qalam, where Allah says, وَلَا تُطِعْ كُلَّ حَلَّافٍ مَهِينٍ هَمَّازٍ And he uses the word hammaz, which comes from the same root word. Do not yield to any contemptible swearer, meaning anyone who takes an oath, swearer meaning he swears an oath, to any backbiter or slander monger. Right? So this is the word hams in this context is referring to lying and to backbiting. And then he says, and lumaza is also mentioned, the root word is also mentioned in Surah Al-Hujurat, verse number 11, where Allah says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ تَلْمِزُوا comes from the same root word. وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ Do not speak ill of one another and do not use offensive nicknames for one another. And from it also is the statement of Allah in, um, I think it's in Surah Tawbah, And of them are those who accuse you in the matter of sadaqah, meaning the way that the Prophet ﷺ used to distribute his sadaqah, and they would consider it to be unfair, right? The hypocrites and the munafiqeen would consider it to be unfair 
So they would make derogatory comments, right? Or they would say things, right, about the way the Prophet is distributing and who is receiving them. So Allah calls his lambs, وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَلْمِزُكَ فِي الصَّدَقَةِ So Shaykh al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala says, which shows that this seems to be, or one of them seems to be what is done openly, and the other one what is done behind someone's back. So hams is something which is done behind someone's back. It is more like backbiting. It is something which is done in someone's absence. Right? So you're someone belittle someone else, they, they spread rumors about them, they backbite them. It's done in their absence. Whereas lams seems to be something which is done openly. Right? You, you, again, you're belittling someone, you're degrading them, but you're doing it openly to their face, right? which is like slander. Right? That's what slander is. Right? Slander is when you say it, uh, openly and you and you and you make it public and so on and that's because in this verse those hypocrites are openly saying to the prophet right? as the man like for example the hadith and the man came to the prophet and he said oh muhammad this is not a distribution by which you seek allah's pleasure right? when he came and he made that that he, that he or the other hadith in which he uh, the narration that says that a man came and he said oh messenger of allah oh muhammad be just and the Prophet ﷺ said, Woe to you, and who will be justified and just? Right? And then one of the companions said, Should we take off his head? He said, No, don't take off his head. But from his children will be those who will come. And the hadith goes on to describe the khawarij and the attributes. So therefore, they say this is lems, right? It's done openly to someone's face, not behind their back, whereas hams is done some is done behind someone's back. So that is one difference between them. Right? Or one opinion as to what the difference is between humaza and lumaza. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said al-hams is what is done by word. Wal-lams is what is done by action. Right? So one difference according to some scholars or the difference between the two is one is done openly and one is done in secret. Other scholars <coughs> say no the difference between the two is one is verbal and the other one is by action. Right? So lems or hems is what you say. Lems is when you use an action to do it. Right? So similar to, for example, the hadith of Aisha when she described another of the wives of the Prophet as being short, she didn't say anything, but she made a signal with her hand. So like she's short. Right? And that is a type of you know, degrading someone, but not necessarily by saying something, right? or by winking, or by using a gesture that is understood by someone else, to be degrading of that person, right? To make some kind of gesture that someone else will understand is degrading of someone else. And this is something which generally isn't allowed, right? And it's not something which is from the characteristics of a Muslim. And that's why the hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ came to the conquest of Mecca and he had pinpointed a group of people, a number of people that were to be killed, even though there was a general amnesty and people were given safety, some of those people, the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Jahl and others, that they should be killed wherever they're to be found. One of those people came but with Uthman radiallahu anhu, Uthman ibn Affan brought someone to the Prophet And that man came and he was on that list. He was from those people who were to be killed. But he came and he sought asylum and he apologized to the Prophet and he wanted to accept Islam. And the Prophet remained quiet. And then when he accepted Islam, the Prophet accepts his Islam. And then after he left, the Prophet said, didn't you hear what I said that this man should be killed wherever he's found? They said, oh Messenger of Allah, you didn't say anything when he was in front of you. All you had to do was wink at us and we would have understood that that's a sign. 
the Prophet said that it's not befitting for a Prophet that he has this type of signal or gesture where he says something to one person but he signals to another. All right? That kind of thing where you have like a two-faced kind of thing where you're signaling someone or gesturing to someone and you're showing the face of someone else isn't from the attributes of the Prophets and therefore it's not from the characteristics of a Muslim. Yeah, that's a very good question, but it's not a question for this for this this lesson. So, um, so that's the difference. Hems is verbal, and lems is through action. Right? So, when someone does something, a gesture, a movement of the hand, of the face, of the head, and so on, that's what it's referring to. Al Imam Al Baghawi, rahimahullah Taala, said, "Al Hems is when you break someone down. It is to break." someone down or it is to demean someone. And Ibn Abbas said, Humaza Lumaza is the one who attacks others or he he um, he speaks ill of others and he and he backbites concerning them. And there's another statement of Ibn Abbas which we'll mention later on because it's also in the hadith. He said that Humaza and Lumaza are those who go around spreading rumors and they are those who cause rancor and evil between people who love one another and there are those who speak ill of those who are innocent this is what he said is the tafsir of this right that those who go around spreading rumors they're those who cause rancor and ill feelings and hatred between people who otherwise would love one another and they're those who criticize and accuse people who are otherwise innocent and ibn abbas radiallahu anhuma said that it's referring to the disbelievers because this is what they would do to the Muslims. Right? They would backbite concerning them, they would spread rumors about them. When they were in their presence, they would speak openly about them or they would speak behind their backs. They would use verbal uh, ways of doing it and they would use actions in order to demean and belittle the believers as well. And Sa'id ibn Jubair ta'ala, said, Al-Humaza is the one who eats the meat of others or the flesh of others by making riba, by, making, by backbiting. And Lumaza is the one who slanders them uh, openly. And that's obviously because we know that in the verse of the Quran that Allah Azza wa compares backbiting to eating the flesh of your dead brother. Would one of you like to devour the flesh of their dead brother? This is something which you would dislike. And Rabi' ibn Anas rahimahullah ta'ala said Al-Humaza is the one who does it openly, and Lumaza is the one who does it behind someone's back. And Qatada said, Yeah, so that's the other opinion, that they switch it around, right? that they switch it around. And Qatada said, uh, it's someone who does it by, Lumaza and Lumaza is the one who does it by their tongue and by their, their eye, by the blink or the movement of an eye, and they degrade someone or they criticize them in this way. Mujahid Ta'ala said, Al-Humaza is with the hand and the eye, Lumaza is with the tongue. Right? So as you can see, they switched it around. Right? So some of them said it's one is with the hand and the other one's with the tongue or action and tongue, and others switched the two around. Uh, and yeah, so they, they, they did the opposite. And Zayd ibn Aslam, who is the uh, son of Aslam, Zayd ibn Aslam is the son of Aslam. Aslam was the free slave of Umar radiallahu Zayd ibn Aslam said, Humaza is the one who devours the flesh of others, meaning that he backbites. 
Al-Muqatil said, Humaza is the one who will criticize you in your absence, and Lumaza is the one who will criticize you to your face. And Abu Aliya, and Hassan al-Basri, and Mujahid, and Ata ibn Abi Rabah, rahimahumullah ta'ala, all of them said, Humaza is the one who comes and does it openly to your face, and Lumaza is the one who does it behind your back. So what they've done is they've switched it around as well. Right? So you can see that the two words are very close in meaning. And where the scholars differ is exactly what the side difference is, but in, in overall meaning, even though there is a difference as to exactly which word means precisely what, in overall meaning they have agreed. Right? They've agreed in terms of that it is a type of backbiting and demeaning and slandering and so on. And Sufyan Athori, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, Humaza is with the tongue and Lumaza is with the eye. And Ibn Kaysan, who is Tawus, Tawus Ibn Kaysan, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, Humaza is the one who harms people with his words. And Lumaza is the one who harms people with their actions, either through their eye or the movement of their head, or in some other similar fashion. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, Humaza is the one who backbites people. And Lumaza is the one who, who speaks ill of them and criticizes them. And he said, Al-Wadi, or Wail is a, it is said was also, Wail is also a, uh, a valley in the fire of hell. And there's a hadith, there's a hadith in, in um, it's a hadith of Abu Malik al-Ash'ari, radiyallahu an, in which the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inna khiyara ibadillahi min hadhi al-ummah, the best of the slaves of Allah are those who when others see them, they are reminded of Allah. Right? The best of Allah's slaves are those who when others see them, they are reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, and then he went on to say, And the worst of Allah's slaves from this ummah are those who go around spreading rumors and they create rancor and illness between those who would otherwise love them, love each other, and there are those who accuse those who would otherwise be innocent. Right? And that's the statement that we said was, Ibn Abbas is radiallahu anhumah, this also mentioned this hadith of Abu Malik al-Ash'ari radiallahu So some of the scholars, as we said therefore, were of their opinion that these two words, humaza and numaza, were of one and the same. So from the scholars of uh, Arabic language who said that were Abu Ubaidah and Az-Zajjaj, they said that the two words are the same in meaning, that they don't, there's no difference between them. But the vast majority of the scholars said, no, that there is a difference, but then they differed as to what is the difference. Some of them said it is either being open or doing it behind someone's back, and then there are other scholars who just switched the two, humaza and lumaza, opposite way around. Some of them said, no, it is by tongue or by action, and then there are those who switched that around as well. And so you have these slight variances in terms of what the opinions are. But that is the general consensus amongst the scholars, that it refers to backbiting and slandering and speaking ill of others. Right? And this verse, in some ways, is more harsh uh, and more threatening than the verses that otherwise speak about the same topic in the Qur'an. Right? Like the verse in Surah Al-Hujurat, that it's like devouring the flesh of, of someone who, uh, you know, backbiting is like devouring the flesh of your dead brother. This verse speaks of complete destruction and complete punishment, right? So wail is a word that is comprehensive, and it's something which refers to utter destruction and utter punishment. And then Allah Azza wa makes it generic, likulli, everyone who does this, anyone who does this, everyone who falls within this. 
So Allah speaks about this group of people. And the scholars then differed as to whether this verse refers to a specific person or whether it is general. Whether it's generic or whether it refers to a specific group of people. It said that a man once came to Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhumah, the companion, and he said to him, was this verse revealed about the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Meaning, does it refer to them? Was this a description amongst them? Was it something that they found, that you found amongst them? He said, no. He said, this, this verse doesn't refer to us, meaning it doesn't refer to the Muslims of that time. So who does it refer to? Some of the scholars of Tafsir, Al-Kalbi, and Al-Suddi, and others said, it refers to Al-Akhnas ibn Shuriq, because he was well known to backbite people. Al-Akhnas ibn Shuriq, this man is uh, from the chieftains of Quraysh, from the chieftains of the Arabs, and it's said in the story that's mentioned in some of the books of, of history and, and biography and so on, when the Prophet used to come by the Kaaba and he would pray at night and Abu Jahl would come secretly and Abu Sufyan would come secretly and they would listen to the Quran being recited. It is said that there were three of them. Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan and the third one is this man. Al-Akhnas ibn Shuraik. So some of the scholars said that this is who it refers to. Al-Akhnas was known to speak ill of the Muslims and to backbite them and to spread rumors about them and to slander them openly and so on. So some of the scholars said it refers to, uh, to him. Muhammad ibn Ishaq, the famous historian, he said that we have always heard that Surah Al-Humaza was referring to Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Umayyah ibn Khalaf is also one of the famous chiefs of Quraysh, one of their leaders, the one that punishes Bilal radiallahu anhu and tortures him and so on. He is one of their leaders as well. Muqatil rahimahullah ta'ala said that we heard that it refers to Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira. He would make ghibah and backbite the Prophet behind his back and he would openly criticize him to his face as well. And Walid ibn Mughira is from the most wealthiest men of Quraysh. Right? From, from the most wealthiest men of Quraysh. He said that Walid ibn Mughira, when they came to rebuilding the Kaaba in the time of the Prophet the famous story where the Prophet tells them how to put the black stone into the Kaaba and so on, they said that Walid ibn Mughira gave enough money to build one of the four corners of the Kaaba, meaning a quarter of the Kaaba, he paid for by himself. Because the Quraysh, as we know, didn't have enough money to rebuild the Kaaba in its original form, and that's why they left that Hijr of Ismail, that semicircle, outside of the building of the Kaaba, because they didn't have enough halal wealth. But this man by himself had enough to give for a quarter of the Kaaba. And he said for 40 days, during the days of Hajj, around the time of Hajj, he would slaughter 10 camels a day and give it for free to the pilgrims of, of, of the people, right? of, 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 uh, give it to the Hujjaj and to the pilgrims. And that's how wealthy he was. And that's why he would say about himself, I am from the wealthiest people of Quraysh. Right? And it said that, and this is obviously another verse of the Quran that we're not coming on to now, but when Allah says in the Quran, And they said, why wasn't this Quran revealed upon two great men from two great tribes. Meaning that if Allah was going to reveal the Quran to someone, why did he, why did he reveal it to the Prophet Why did he not choose two great men from two of the greatest tribes of Arabia? He said that Al-Walid ibn Mughira made this statement about himself, coming from the tribe of Quraysh, and about another man from the tribe of Thaqif, from the people of Ta'if. Meaning that if Allah was going to choose a prophet and messenger, then he should have chosen one of us because of their wealth and their power and the influence. So some of the scholars said, like Muqatil, that it's referring to this man, Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira. 
And others said it refers to, Mujahid rahimahullah said it refers to uh, Jamil ibn Amir, Al-Jumahi, Jamil ibn Amir. Jamil ibn Amir, it said that this man was from the leaders of Quraysh and he was uh, an opponent of Islam at the beginning, but that he would eventually become Muslim, eventually accepted Islam. And that's why some of the scholars said that from the etiquettes of the Quran is that Allah Azza wa generally speaking, when he speaks about the disbelievers, he doesn't name them. Even if the verse was revealed concerning a specific person, Allah Azza wa rarely reveals their names in the Quran, except for like Abu Lahab, right, as we mentioned in the Quran. Right? Abu Lahab is mentioned by name, and that's because he would never accept Islam and he would never be guided because of his evil. But others are mentioned by name because some of them would become Muslim. And the context in which this verse is revealed is in the context of them being disbelievers and enemies of Allah and, and opponents to the Prophet And that is from the etiquettes of the Quran. Right? And that's why generally in the, in, the, in the etiquettes of advising one another and so on, as we know, you don't mention people's name, right? unless there's a need to do so. You don't really mention people's name and speak to them openly, unless everyone knows who everyone's talking about anyway. But if it's like a hidden thing, it's not well known, you conceal that person's identity and preserve it rather than speaking about it openly. So that's the opinion of those scholars who said that it's referring to someone in particular. And we have four people. Al-Akhmas ibn Shuraiq, Umayy ibn Khalaf, Al-Walid ibn Mughira, and Jamil ibn Amir. And then Mujahid rahimahullah has another opinion in which he says, It is general. For everyone who falls into this description. And this is the opinion that the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir chose from the Muhaqqiqeen, Ibn uh, Atiyah, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, Ibn Kathir and others, Rahimahumullah, they said that this is the one that is strongest. That even if the verse was revealed because of a particular incident around a single person, the verse itself is general. It refers to everyone who fits that description. And that is possible in the Quran, where a verse is revealed because of a specific incident or because of a specific individual, <coughs> but the ruling that it comes with is Am. It is open and it is generic for everyone. Right? So for example, in Surah Al-Hazab, when Allah Azza speaks about the Prophet marrying the wife of his, of his uh, adopted son, right? Zayd. Because general ruling is that a father can't marry his daughter-in-law even after divorce. But because he's not the son, Zayd ibn Haritha wasn't the son of the Prophet he was someone that he had adopted. Allah says that when Zayd divorced her, you married her so that we could show to the believers that there is no harm in doing so. Right? So it's a different ruling. That Allah mentions the name of Zayd. It's referring to Zayd in that particular marriage, in that particular incident. But the ruling is in general. Right? And that's often in the Quran. So even if this verse was revealed concerning one of the leaders of Quraysh specifically, that ruling is general, and that is why Al-Tabari and Ibn Atiyah and others said that this, this verse refers to everyone who falls into this description. May Allah Azzawajal protect us from that. Whether Muslim or not, that's the general ruling of the Sharia. Right? And we have a question online as well, um, in terms of backbiting on Muslims, it's the same thing. Right? Backbiting, like stealing, everything else, generally when it's haram, it's haram for like it's made haram upon everyone, right? No, um, you shouldn't do that kind of thing. What about if you're talking about this when you're doing that kind of thing with the people? Is that the same thing? Mm. What is that? What if you're joking around and messing around with people? I'm not going to do that. Is that the same thing? Yeah. 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 Y
Does that count? Does that count? He was just giving an example. You see, it's so joking around, like when it comes to something which falls into like that grey area of it can be some it's probably best left. Right? But if it's like between two, three people and they're all in on the joke and they're okay, I think that's like a different thing. Everyone's in on the joke and they're happy and it's and no one's going to get upset feelings. But if there is a possibility, and often in the way that we joke with people, even though we think that that person's probably okay with it, actually they're not okay with it. And deep down they're actually not okay and they're not happy and they don't like it, but they're not going to say anything because, you know, who's going to be the one to spoil that fun, right, between a group of friends. That's something which, like, a person has to, like, we have to bear in mind. And, and that's where, like, you have to be slightly astute and, and switch them. Yeah, we, we spoke about, uh, because, because you mentioned it in the ayah, we spoke about backbiting. And we said the person shouldn't do it. When are the exceptions to this? Or is that completely what are the exceptions to backbiting? Imam Nawi, rahimahullah, has, has, has something on, on this when, when he mentions a number of those exceptions. So, for example, in, in the case of going to court, right? if someone has a haqq or someone has a right that they're going in front of a judge, then there's no backbiting there or anything, right? Because now you're coming to speak about your rights, right? And that's, you know, in the similar case in our time, it would be when you go to an imam and so there's someone that you want to um, bring reconciliation between something or to judge and adjudicate an issue. Or, for example, marriage, right? That's something which, or when someone comes to you and seeks sincere advice from you, because they're going to go into marriage with someone or going to go into a business partnership with someone and they need to know what is the reality of that person, what is their actual personality. That's like an exception to that one. So those are like, Imam Nabi Rahmullah mentioned I think seven or eight or something um, in one of his books. And, and just on the question of backbiting, does the hadith not mention your brother who you, so therefore would you, some scholars say this brother here means in humanity as opposed to brother of faith? Yeah, so generally, like the, the the question is that the hadith speaks about brothers in specific, right? So, what does that, does that brother refer to Muslims? Generally, the Sunnah refers to brothers because it's referring to the context of Muslims, right? So, generally, the Quran, the Sunnah, when it speaks about these issues, it speaks about, you know, like for example, the hadith of the one who um, who uh, holds a knife out to his brother, and it's a hadith, right? And it says the word brother. That doesn't mean that he can go to a non-Muslim and start holding out. The context of the Sunnah generally is in those words of brother and sister and Muslim because that's who it's referring to, right? It's referring to the Muslim community and speaking to them generally, right? That's, that's its main audience. But that doesn't mean that those, you know, that those rulings don't apply to non-Muslims just because the word brother is used. Yeah. And that's important like in understanding the context of and how the wording of the Sharia is used. So Hamazat al-Shayateen is like the whisperings of Shaytan. Right? The whisperings of Shaytan and, and the, the influences of Shaytan. So it's by and, word and it is done publicly. And, and, and it comes from the same root word. It comes from the same root word. So the root word would be the same for both. And that is like to bring some type of harm and to do some type of evil. No more, no more. There's one hadith, I can't find out when it is. Someone comes to Prophet when he leaves, he says something, and someone says, Isn't that backbiting? And then he says something along the lines of the, the hadith of There's a hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. When the Prophet, uh, a man came uh, to the Prophet's house and he knocked on his door and he said about him, Bitsa akul ashira. What an evil man this is. And then when he came in, the Prophet was welcomed him. He smiled at him and he was honorable towards him. And then when he left, 
So Aisha radiallahu anha said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, before the man came, you said this, but then when he came, you were nice to him. And the Prophet said, From the worst of people are those who others avoid because of their harm. Right? From the worst of people are those who others will, you know, just because of the way they are and the harm that they bring, you just hear some tent hooks and, and the way that you deal with them. Right? And that's not like backbiting. That's, so one of the exceptions to that is of backbiting is when you're making the reality of someone known to someone else. So like when the Prophet would go with Abu Bakr to the different tribes and he would say, this tribe is known to be treacherous, it's not known for its integrity. It's not. That's like telling someone because they need to know. Right? And so when you tell someone, look, beware of that person, not without going to specifics, but just beware. Right? Plus, we didn't go into specifics, he just said, that's not a good man. Beware of that person. Yeah, possibly, but that's like a different, yeah, similar to it. But the, like the Prophet telling Hudayfa the names of the hypocrites, but that's like him telling him like an actual like fact, right? That's something which, but yeah, again, it's not something which the Prophet will spread, right? It's not something which all the companions are privy to. One person is told that. And these things are often based upon need, right? It's based upon need, and, and, and you know, you have to judge that issue. So it's not like you go around telling everyone, oh, that guy's not a good guy, <laughs> just like for no good reason. <coughs> but if there's an actual reason, or that, that's a person that frequents your house, like in the case of the Prophet, man's coming to his house, right? So he wants his family to be aware. That's a different situation than openly just walking around in the masjid and telling everyone, right? That doesn't need to know. So you, there is a context to this, and there is obviously, um, you know, understanding that situation and, and, and what that need is. Okay, Jazakumullah khair, inshallah we'll be back next week same time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.